a doctor looks at me and begins the process of saying, Laurie, you have multiple sclerosis. Um, within 24 hours, I'm in a hospital, MRIs, neurologist, and confirming that this is, in fact, the story that God has for me. And um, that was a long time ago, and, and there have been bumps in the road, and so many of you have asked lately, how are you doing? And I, um, I'm real thankful today I'm actually doing well. I walk with a limp, some of you may notice, but um, this spring was a little bit alarming. Well, it was pretty alarming, actually, um, because it seemed to be taking a turn for the worse. There have been ups and downs and scares with neurologists. And this spring, the neurologist said, Laurie, I think you may be in the early signs of a progression. And that's a bad word in MS world, to hear the word progression. And we were pretty frightened this summer of what God had for me because I was struggling to walk and got a leg brace and we put our house on the market for a one-story house, and we started regrouping. Okay, I've got a three-year-old, and um, what, what does this look like, Lord? What do you have? And it's been a real story of submission for me with the Lord. Like, Lord, I, I don't know what you have for me five years, ten years, and we never know, but what do you have for me? What is your story? And, um, and again, the past couple of months, I've been feeling a little better, so we don't know ever what the Lord has for us uh, next week or next year or ten years from now. But tonight... There's a question that I want to ask and that I want to know the answer to, and I think Paul addresses, and it's this. How do I live in the present brokenness of this life with hope? How do I live? How do we deal? How do we think about things like multiple sclerosis or cancer or sin or anything that's part of the brokenness of this life, injustice, anything, how am I helped in the groans of this life to think and to live? And I have to wrestle these things out. I, uh, about once a month, my, um, usually my mother, such a help to me, she'll come and give me about half a day to go to, it's usually Panera Bread, light roast coffee, corner booth, Panera Bread, and I get time to just journal and pray and just work through scripture um, for an extended time. And I'll sit, if you ever see me in a Panera Bread, um, I'll sit in there and just wrestle with God. Say, God, what are you saying in your word here? I need to understand this. And I can tell you, I, I can't just read scripture and open it up and go, okay, flesh, law, sin, okay, okay, God, I got I mean, I have to go, Lord, what is this? What does this mean? Help me to apply this to my life. Spirit, would you please put feet on this in my life so that I know how to walk and live and think today? This is good, deep stuff that we dig and mine out. Spurgeon says of Romans 8, 22, actually, on, and I think Spurgeon, Spurgeon says that, dear friends, we have often found that the nuts, which are the hardest to crack, have the sweetest kernels. God lead us in all truth. That we come to scripture, Spurgeon comes to scripture and says, this is a hard nut to crack, but the sweetest kernels inside, Lord, let me crack it. Lead me, Spirit, in all truth so that I can understand this. And I'm telling you, the temptation, tell me if you feel this. If Wherever I am, if I'm sitting in Panera Bread or wherever, I know that there's shops right over there. And everything in me could just jump up and run over there and just, ah, you know, just run around those stores and just, um, just run up. Because sometimes it's hard to stay engaged and focused in Scripture. Do you feel that? And I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, 
would you hold me down? If I'm at home just trying to spend time with the Lord, I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, hold me down because I know the pile of laundry and the dishes in the sink and a thousand things I could jump up and go do. And I need the Spirit to help me say, this is a sweet kernel and I want to crack this and I want to know this. And I want us to do that tonight as we come to this text. Lord, Spirit, would you help us? Would you help us? Because we need to know the answers to these questions. Now, just to review a little bit, so Friday night we said there's the flesh and there's the faith. And Paul talked about are we setting our mind on the things of the flesh or by the Spirit is he leading us into faith? Are we done with self-righteousness, self-effort? Do we see Jesus as the finished work, finished work for us? And then this morning we said, are we living functionally? Even if we know that we're children of God, do we function like we're orphans? Do we wonder... Is anyone going to love me? Is anyone going to cherish me? Is anyone going to protect me? Or do we see the fatherhood of God through Jesus for us? Do we see that? Um, When we said this morning that there's three implications of being a child of God, and the fourth implication that was from this text is what we're going to see tonight. And if you look there, in verse 17 of Romans 8, it says this, Actually, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Remember, we're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now, I come to that word, suffer, and we go, whoa, wait a minute, where's this going? Do you mean suffer? It says we suffer with him in order that we'll be glorified with him. For the Christian, God uses suffering. I was so, just tonight around the table, I was so just interested just to notice how many people's stories of coming to know Jesus or growing in their faith were born out of suffering. Did you see that in their table? God bringing them into a hard place to draw them to himself. And I just think, wow, how the Lord uses suffering in in our life in order that we may be glorified with him. So, you know, when in the Pilgrim's Progress, when Christian loses his burden and he, the law is gone from him. If you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress, it's a hard road now to get to the celestial city. It's a hard road. He's going to have so many dangers and so many things come at him. The road now in this life is hard. Here's a little poem from the journal. Just the narrow way. Narrow is the road to life, full of thorns and fears and strife. Few will take it. Most will fear. There aren't as many comforts here. Most would rather have their life than lose it for the sake of Christ and walk a narrow, winding way that's veiled and calls you every day to walk by faith and trust His grace to store up in another place comforts, ease, and treasure stores to trust the God of how much more He can give than earthly men. Oh, let me only enter in the narrow gate, the holy door, the fearful, lovely path of more, the way, the truth, the life, the one, Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Tonight in Romans 8, we want to say, how do I live in hope in the present brokenness of this life? Well, point number one is this, if you're on your sheet there. Broken mess is part of this life. 
broken mess is part of this life. Now, we know that there was creation, and God created the world, and it was very good. And then man fell. There was creation, and then there was corruption. And sin entered the world now, and now the world is wrecked by sin. We're in a state of the destructiveness of sin. Creation, corruption, but then there's the cross When Jesus came and he ushered in the kingdom of God and the shadow lifted and now these glimpses now and shadows of what will be when ultimately there's the consummation in heaven. But we live in, I think it's, is it Buster where he says it's the almost but the not yet. We're in the almost but the not yet. The shadow is lifted. There's glimpses now of the kingdom of God. There's foretaste. The Holy Spirit's our deposit and our guarantee. He's the first fruits of the harvest. We have these tastes now of the kingdom breaking in. And our role now is even bringing people into the ultimate glory, the ultimate end of the story, which is heaven itself. But this season is a season where we're still in a world of decay and sin. Spurgeon says this. He says, though there are beauties, it is not as when it came from the maker's hand. The slime of the serpent is on it all. This is not the world which God pronounced to be very good. And John Piper says this, the sufferings of this life are part of a universal God decreed. He subjected it to futility. God did. The collapse of creation into disorder because of sin. God subjected the world to futility and therefore All the misery of this world, and it is great, is a bloody declaration about the ghastly horror of sin. Sin is destructive. And we're in an age where sin has run rampant and destructed things. Things decay. There are tornadoes, and there's tears. There's cancer, and there's disability. There's infertility and injustice. Flowers wilt, people lie, nations rage, and I sin. This is not the world which God created is very good, but he has has initiated his work of redemption, and he will complete it in heaven. The good news, too, is that you aren't alone. Do you feel the brokenness? Creation is groaning, not just us. In verse 22, it says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. The whole creation is groaning together. I remember that picture that Lynn showed of Jordan. And you just feel, do you feel it? The groaning of creation as you see this barren land. And you see these women in a hopeless eternity that there's a groan that this is not it. This is not it. And in this room tonight, I think in this room, if we could contemplate it for just a minute, there is a groan. Do you feel it? In our hearts, in my heart, there's an ache that we could, if we could just cut it with a knife In this very place, there is an ache. This is not it. Things are not fully how they should be. There are aches for our marriages, for our children, for our health, 
for our families, for our want of a husband, for our want of children, for our want of things to be right and as they should be. And we know in our spirit, this is not it. It is not finished yet. There's a groan in creation. But the second point is this, that for the Christian... It is a groan of hope. And this is so interesting, I think, the picture that Paul paints here. He says the groan is actually a groan and an ache of hope. And we know that because he compares it to the groan of childbirth, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So, The pain is real and significant, but it's a hopeful pain. It's not for naught. That's the thing about childbirth pain. It's not futility. It's not just wasted pain. The pain is actually bearing a new life. Something is coming out of this. Now, I love, okay, I love being a woman, and I love talking with women. I love hearing stories. And whenever a friend has a baby... I want to hear their story. Are you like that? I mean, I want to hear the details. Like, okay, okay, where were you when the contraction started? Okay, it's 3 o'clock, so there you were. And I remember this one friend recently. There was a whole crowd of us gathered around her, and she's telling this you know, story of her contractions starting, the water break, and the whole thing, and we're loving it. You know, we're just, okay, getting all the details. When did you get to the hospital? All this. So she's sitting there. She says, she goes, well, I was at a dinner party when the contraction started, and we're going, ah, no way, you're at a dinner party. She said, I was holding on to a wall. She said, and the pain came on. She said, and my knuckles turned white because I gripped the wall so hard. And we're all going, no, it hurts so bad. That's awesome. You know, I mean, what? who thinks like that about pain? But you know why you can do that? Why do we think like that? It's because she's holding the baby. She's holding the baby. We can talk about the pain now because we see the new life that's come from it. I think in heaven, there's going to be celebrations in heaven because of the pain that we walked through on earth. Paul says that in 2 Corinthians, that your light and momentary troubles are producing for you an eternal weight of glory. There's new life coming from this. This is not for naught. This is not a pain. There's a difference between the pain in the oncology ward and the pain in the paternity ward. There is a groan of death for the non-Christian. The groan that they're feeling through suffering is a groan of death. There's nothing coming from that. But for the believer, the groan in our spirit, it's a groan of hope that something is coming from this. And we wait for it. It's not here yet. And we are in the middle of those contractions. It's painful. And the pain is real. But it's coming. And new life is coming. And we wait for that. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The creation is longing in the pains of childbirth. Well, what are we waiting for? We talk about we're waiting. We're waiting for something. So here's me. I'm sitting about, what are we waiting for? What is it? What is it? If you've seen the movie Braveheart, there's this great scene. I always think about this. When William Wallace has the troops there and they've got these big poles. I don't know what those things are, but you know, they're all there with these big poles and the uh, enemy's coming upon them. And you know they're just ready to just jump up and go. And he's saying to them, he says, hold 
hold, hold, and you feel it, this, this tension. Go, you know, ready to go. And I think that's the waiting for heaven that we're in right now. It's like the cry, how long, oh Lord? How long do we have to wait? How long do we hold, hold? And then my question is, and what are we waiting for? We need to know what we're waiting for as we wait. Well, verse 19 says this, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, this is a com- this idea of creation waiting for the revealing of the sons of God is a common redemptive theme in movies. Have you ever seen a movie where there's someone like a princess and there's this princess and she lives in a castle, but then for some reason in the movie she's working on the streets like just laboring away and slaving away and nobody even knows she's the princess. You know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, one day, she pulls the cloak back, and everyone goes, oh, that was the princess, you know? But who knew? Who knew? And I feel like that's kind of what this is saying. There's this redemptive theme that, that right now, the church in this age, it looks like a suffering servant, but it will be revealed that they're the sons of God. Those people are royalty. Jenny, you can, can you put that picture up there? Because here's another. Ah, okay. Seen Lord of the Rings. Okay, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, you know that this is Strider. Early in the movie, here's Strider. Now, the whole movie, he just looks like he is worn out, doesn't he? I mean, he's just utterly worn out. And that's how my hair looks a lot of days, right? Maybe you. Okay, so just tired. He's been in the battle for the whole movie. It is a hard fight that he's in. It's a hard fight in his end. But it is revealed, and you can click to the next one later in the movie, that he's actually King Aragorn, the king of men. And by the end of the movie, he's in his rightful place as royalty. And you can click off of that now, Jenny. But, but that's the picture there, that right now, the church, it looks messy, right? The church is tired. We beat our bodies and we make it our slaves because in this age, we're waiting for the next. And it will be revealed the sons of God. Now, I know I was thinking today of a lady in our church, just faithful lady, faithful older lady who outwardly is wasting away, but she sits in her home and writes letters to prisoners to do a Bible study, just faithfully, faithfully serving the Lord. And I thought, you know, right now it doesn't look like royalty, but it will be revealed. It will be revealed. Corey Ten Boom tells a story. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, uh, you may her godly Holocaust survivor from the last century. But she tells a story in one of her books about a lady, and this was a great encouragement to me. A friend gave me this story that there was this lady in Russia uh, during the communist regime who had multiple sclerosis, and she had gotten so bad that she only had one finger that really worked well. Her body was so broken down. But she was a smart lady, and she knew several languages. And so there in her little communist apartment, her husband every day would prop her up with pillows and a typewriter. And with her one finger, she typed out translations of great Christian works into Russia, Russian to be distributed by the underground church. And the KGB thought, they would have never thought that that lady was a, a child of God, was royalty. They would have never thought to look in that little apartment up there with that little old lady because outwardly it looked like a mess. But it will be revealed. It will be revealed, the sons of God. And we wait for that. You may look tired here, right? 
You may be like, this is a mess here, but we wait for that. We wait for that. Another thing that we see in this text in verse 21 is that creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. We were just talking about this around our table, like, oh, the day when we don't deal with sin anymore. We're set free from the bondage to sin, and we're totally free to enjoy the Savior. There's no struggle. There's no struggle with the flesh anymore. Verse 23 says this, We groan and eagerly wait for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. So we said earlier that we have the spirit of adoption, but there will be a consummation, the fullness of the experience of being a child of God in heaven. And we wait for the redemption of our bodies. You know what that means? Boy, that's particularly hopeful to anyone that struggles physically in their bodies to think that I will have a new body. When I worked as an occupational therapist, I saw children whose bodies were so broken. And I remember watching, for some reason, one particular day, I was watching this little boy just struggle on the ground. And it just welled up in me that, like, if he knows Jesus, he gets a new body for eternity. This life is a vapor. This is just tiny. This is little. For eternity, he gets to run and play with Jesus. And I just so longed for that for him, the redemption of his body eternally. Johnny Erickson Tata talks a lot about this, um, just from her experience in a wheelchair. And she says, it's like, it's like asking a caterpillar, what's, what's this redeemed body going to be like? She says, it's like asking a caterpillar what it'll be like to fly. She says, it's like asking a hairy little peach pit, what's it going to be like to be a flowering, beautiful tree? I mean, the peach pit really has no comprehension of what he will become. The caterpillar, the, the caterpillar doesn't even comprehend yet what he was made to be. And that's what it will be like to have a redeemed body for eternity. I want to paint a picture for you and me tonight. Like, this is going to be good, okay? Do we even comprehend what we're waiting for right now? It's going to be good. Verse 21 says this, Creation will obtain the freedom and glory of the children of God. And he says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. What are we waiting for? For glory. Now, I wonder, if you wonder, what is that? What is glory? Because that's another one that I go, I sit in Panera Bread with my journal, and I'm like, okay, God, what is that? What is glory? Well, as I've prayed and thought and read, I'm just realizing I want to understand that glory is God. It's God. God himself, the end of all our seeking, the desire of all nations. God himself is where we'll be. And it is better than we can comprehend. If you ever wonder what glory is, have you ever just been in a situation, maybe, I just want to get my brain around this, where you get a foretaste. Well, let me say it like this. Remember, uh, I guess last night we said that there's the little stories that give us pictures of the bigger story. Like our fairy tales here give us a picture of a grander story 
of God with the church. And then our adoptions here, our small narratives, help us understand in a small way a much grander reality of God's relationship to us. Well, God's done the same thing with glory. He's given us glimpses here so that in just a little way we can get a taste, just an appetizer of what the full picture will be. And it says that in verse 28. It says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. So the first fruits of the Spirit are like the appetizer before a grand meal. Technically, for the Israelites, they would have understood that word first fruits because when a harvest came in, the first fruits that they would get weren't the full harvest, but they were the assurance that the harvest is in. They were the hope the rest of the harvest is coming. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've got the appetizer. Let me give you a picture of that. So have you ever been somewhere? We were talking about places in the U.S. this morning around our table. And so if people mentioned the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, have you ever been somewhere and it just, it just took your breath away when you saw it? And there was just this height of emotion at the beauty of it. Or have you ever been, you've probably maybe been to a football game and you're there in a stand, you've got 80,000 people cheering and the team runs down and your heart just wells up within you at excitement. There's this height of excitement of how all these people rallied around a common thing. That's just a taste, a taste of the throngs from every nation and tribe and tongue and language that would be together to worship God in heaven. The highest emotion you've ever felt is just a fraction of what you will feel to be in the presence of God. Do you see that? Now, again, this is a Panera Bread poem here um, from the journal. As I'm thinking about this, what is glory? What is glory? What is all? What's it like for man to fall in staggering wonder at our God to gape and gasp for what he saw? Glory. Can I comprehend? Is there a picture here to lend some help to understand this plan of someday living in a land where God himself will be the light, where every moment brings delight? Have I tasted glimpses here between the sighs and groans and tears? Taste of glory in a scene, a shadow in a winning team, a picture in a sight beheld that calls my heart to leap a spell. A heart that's changed, a loved one's smile, a sunset scene of beauty wild, a Christian-freed Christmas day, health and grace and children's play. Are these tastes to wet my tongue, to hope in what is yet to come, to wait in eager expectation, longing here with all creation for the day of hope made sight when God, whose glory, sets things right. Oh, I just want to understand that. If we knew what we were waiting for, if we knew what was coming, how we would wait, right? With anticipation in that. How the sufferings of this age could seem light and momentary. When Paul says that, we say, really? Light? This does not feel light. But in reality, in comparison to the glory, it's light compared to the weight of glory that awaits you as a child of God. That's what Paul's saying here. Something wonderful is coming out of this. Hmm.
So, so we end with our question, really, you know, how do we have hope in the present brokenness of this life and our disappointments and heartaches? When my leg gives out and I face plant on the concrete or my children, um, my sweet children, they all um, scramble for who can be my walking stick sometimes. So I've got four walking sticks at home. But, um, but when we walk in these things and we say, Lord, how do I think about this? I want to hope for heaven when the day when this body is redeemed. I want to live in hope of that. Scotty Smith says, May eternal things dazzle us more than temporal things disappoint us. In verse 24 and 25, it says this. Actually, let me pull this up because I think 23 is good too. Hmm. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I want to encourage you tonight to wait for it with patience. And that's hard. It's hard to wait. You know, this idea of hope, uh, Hebrews 6.19 says, this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both sure and steadfast. And a couple years ago, I read that about just hope being an anchor for us. Do you ever feel like you're just like a ship that's just tossed around? But hope is an anchor for our soul. And I read that a couple years ago. I started in my uh, Bible. I drew little anchors. <laughs> Anytime I would read a verse, I was like, that's hope. That's hope. I would just draw a little anchor there. That anchors me to have hope. That's what God wants for you tonight. Um, maybe you need assurance, hope, that you're a child of God, dearly loved. Maybe you need assurance that Christ has won his righteousness for you. It's yours. The self-effort is done. Maybe you need to know that the groan in your spirit is leading to an eternal weight of glory, God himself. We're going to play a video as we close tonight, and it's about six minutes. And in the middle of the video, you'll hear John Piper come in and say some things. But I want you to use this time to pray and think and talk with the Lord and take him. Do you need some hope? Do you need some help to wait for what's coming? Do you want to long for heaven? We're going to have some ladies um, just come to the side that are available for you to pray with them. And, um, and I want to encourage you, sometimes that's awkward to do. And I, it's the story of my life. I'm telling you, it's the story of my life, is to walk through awkwardness. You just got to keep walking, don't you? You know, you say, I want to be obedient. I want to hear the Spirit and do it even though it's uncomfortable. So if the Lord is just lays out in your heart, I need to pray with someone, then pull off to the side and find someone to pray, pray with. Maybe in your room tonight, or just in your little condos, maybe just ask each other, if you haven't already, how are you doing? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Let's pray tonight. So I just want to encourage you to do that. After that, as you leave tonight, there's some little rocks that say hope on them. And they have this verse um, for who hopes in what, he's, what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it 
with patience. And that little rock, as you take it as you leave tonight, it's just a tangible little thing that you can just take on and say, I'm going to lay hold of hope and remember this. I'm going to wait for it with patience. If you can go ahead and cue the movie. Let me pray for it, actually, before we do the video. Lord, we're so thankful that through your Son, you have given us your inheritance of eternal life, that we will be with you forever. And that's better than we even comprehend, God. I don't think my brain nearly grasps the glory that it will be to be in your presence. So I pray tonight, Lord, as we think about the present sufferings of this life, that you would help us to have hope and to wait for it with patience. In Jesus' name, amen.